All right, we are here at Cigar Snob HQ with Abraham Mashi. We uh, have had him write a couple of stories for uh, Cigar Snob. Um, one of them was about bull meat, and that's fighting bull meat specifically. The other was an interview with Morante de la Puebla, who is uh, one of the cream of the crop bullfighters. So Abraham is uh, is now in Miami for a little bit, and we thought uh, that we'd we'd have him in to have a little bit of a chat. And those of you who have read his stuff, I think this will be a cool way to kind of get behind the scenes a little bit. So thanks for dropping by. Thanks so much for having me, Nick. Really happy to be here. Yeah. So um, for the sake of giving people a little bit of background, yeah. uh, tell us uh, where you come from, uh, especially in terms of, of journalism, and how it was that you ended up so deep into the bullfighting world, right? Because I think most people, when you know, when you go down that journalism path or really anything, you probably don't imagine that you're going to end up dedicating so much of your time to something in that narrow a niche, let alone on the other side of the world. Right. Well, um, let me see. Uh, got into journalism just for this love of curiosity of, of, of really diving uh, deep into an issue that I'm fascinated with. And a um, lot of work in Latin America, really liked South America, covered a lot of politics and stuff. Uh, Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Venezuela, Central America, Mexico. But one time, this was around 2006, the Rafael Correa election in Ecuador, and uh, I would I would go out after reporting on different things uh, with a buddy of mine that went to Mizzou Journalism School, and he was working for Reuters, and we would get beers after and you know hang out and talk shop, uh, talk politics, talk journalism, and uh, the the bullfights were in town in in uh, Quito, which. Currently, bullfighting is prohibited in Quito. Killing of the bull is prohibited in Quito, but at that time it wasn't. And it was, I think, uh, early December in 2006. And he said, hey, bullfight's around. You want to see a bullfight? And I said, sure. Yeah, I've never seen a bullfight. Uh, and so we went. This was a time when I was pretty broke. I also had been robbed. My uh, my little apartment had been robbed in Quito with my computer and my and my camera. Yeah. And it was tough to be a journalist without that stuff. And I eventually got it back. I wrote a story about it. But we went to the bullfight. So he got he got me Barrera tickets, like front row, and in, in Quito's Plaza. And I remember just – I can't remember specific things that happened. My buddy, I was just hanging out with him in uh, Spain. We went to a, a few bullfights together. And he remembers some very specific things. Uh, El Fandi running backwards with his hand on the head of the bull. Uh as he does after he places the banderillas. Um, but I just remember the emotions. I remember the, the, the intensity of the experience. I remember the, I mean, it, it's bullfighting, uh, being in the plaza and experience a, experiencing a bullfight is like nothing else. It's this range of emotions from fear uh, to beauty. Uh, there's elegance. There's art. There is uh, suspense, and I've just come to realize only recently, even though this seems pretty obvious, is that the, the, the possibility of death is what makes those emotions so intense. Right. The bullfighter can be killed. Which I'm not sure that, that 
very many people grasp how, and I'm not sure that I do either. I mean, I've never seen a bullfight live, uh, and I certainly don't, you know, I haven't taken that deep dive into it, but I, I'm not sure, you know, if you were to like maybe poll Americans, you know, how, how real is the risk of death? I'm not sure that too many people would assume it's very high. They might assume that maybe the bulls are, I don't know, sedated or, or that they're not really that aggressive or what, like, but they, they may assume that it's very, more theatrical and very low on the risk. Yeah, I think that, and I've talked to a lot of bullfighters about this idea of, of balancing the theater, the spectacle, versus just being totally transparent and, uh, when they're out there and letting their emotions show. Some bullfighters, like I just spoke to Diego Ordiales, he's from La Rioja, and you see the anguish or the frustration on his face when he can't mm, control or manipulate or move or guide the bull in the way that he wants to. And whereas there's others who... I think, try to hide pain, frustration, and they try to keep the show. Right. Um, because it is a spectacle. But the, the risk of, of death, well, you know, it's, it's strange because I, I've, I've talked to a lot of bullfighters about this. I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book, you know, we've talked about this, Nick, that I'm writing a book about what they call taromachia, like, or, you know, bullfighting study, you know, and, and tourism in Spain. And I interviewed 13 bullfighters, one from from different regions of Spain. And then I also uh, interviewed several people who knew a bullfighter from the Basque country who, who died last year in the plaza to sort of tell a story through his voice of, about him. And then the last chapter is about Pamplona, which just happened, and I was there in July. And so, and then a lot of bullfighters talk about their experiences in Pamplona. And anyway, I, I asked the bullfighters, uh, are you, when does fear come into play? And, you know, they all say, there's this, there's this saying, uh, estamos jugando la vida, like where you're, 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 you're betting on your life, you're risking your life, mm -hmm. you know, when you go out there. And, and they say that, and that's like a catchphrase, and it's true, right? But bullfighters are professionals. They know what they're doing. They, some of them, since they were 9 or 12 years old, have been training with little beceras, little cows in the, in the field, in the campo, at the, at the ranches. And they have been, they spend most of their time in solitude in ranches studying bulls. Like these men, they know these animals. They know, and these, these animals have been, um, have been bred for centuries to perform a certain way. And a lot of bullfighters say today that this is the most perfect bull in history. Why, why is it the most perfect bull? Well, it's been bred to be uh, like bravo very strong, brave, uh, aggressive. And then there's a word they use a lot in bullfighting, noble, noble. Right. And noble, noble means it follows the cape. It follows the capote, it follows the muleta very closely. And it doesn't deviate. It shouldn't right. deviate. And it's been bred to do this, to be strong, brave, aggressive, with high stamina, and, and to follow closely. Now, are there are some bull breeds that are are more unpredictable than others, and there's specialist bullfighters for that. So the bullfighters kind of already know this is how the bull is supposed to behave. If I do this, the bull should do this. Right. Now, it is an animal, and this choreography with an animal, it, it's, not, it's, it's not perfect, and mistakes happen. Right. Bullfighters make mistakes, or unpredictable things happen with the bull, and that's where bullfighters get injured. And... Bullfighters' injuries are common. Some bullfighters get more injured, get gored more often, or get hit more often than other bullfighters. 
but deaths are really rare. So in 2016, uh, <clears throat> in July 2016, uh, a bullfighter by the name of Victor Barrio was killed in a plaza in Teruel, Spain. And that was the first time that a bullfighter had been killed in a plaza in Spain in, I think, 35 years. Oh, wow. Yep. Yeah. Now, it happens, I think, almost on a yearly basis somewhere in Latin America. But with the, with the quality of the medical attention and the, and the perfection and the training of the bullfighters and the, and, the, and the breeding of the bulls, it's just less, less likely. I mean, there are serious, serious injuries that can be treated. Right. But even and the risk of injury is, is, high. is still something it's to consider. It's very high. Yeah. And, and, so, and then also, so that was 2016, but also last year, a bullfighter, Ivan Fandino, from Pais Basco, from Basque Country, was killed in a plaza, a small plaza in France. And yeah. uh, he's he features in my book as well. I've done a lot of uh, talking to folks who knew him. So it happens, and it kind of shakes the bullfighting world a little bit. And it makes people remember that bullfighting is this dangerous and that people can be killed. Yeah. So talk a little bit about, you know, given that we're, we're here uh, for the Cigar Snob podcast, Talk a bit about uh, what role cigars play in bullfighting culture, right, or, or in the bullfighting scene, um, and and what your experience has been as far as cigars helping you to cultivate relationships in bullfighting. You know, I, th- I think we talked to um, uh, we talked to a lot of people in these sort of very peculiar worlds, right? That are peculiar just in the sense that they're sort of insular or. Um, you know, whether it's chefs or athletes or uh, artists, there there is always this pocket of cigar smokers in that world whose relationships are deeper or where journalists get more access because as soon as you introduce a cigar into the picture, it's like, oh, okay, you're cool. <laughs> I'm gonna, yeah, I'll funny. talk to you now. It's really funny that you should say that because – so I did the interview with Morante de la Puebla uh, last year for Cigar Snob. He is – a he's considered probably the top artistic bullfighter in the world. Mm-hmm. He's a strange personality and character. He's fascinating. He's intriguing. The interview, which we did for fifty nine minutes, had ups and downs. And I this mean, and this for reference was in which issue of the magazine? Yeah, this was the, uh, September twenty seventeen. September October twenty seventeen, and it's the first cigar with Morante de la Puebla. We did the photo shoot in his suite on the day that he was going to do a mano a mano, one on one fight. With El Juli, a top bullfighter of a different style, a more classic style, and, and Morante being the art, the art, the artist from Seville, and it's really that it was. We didn't know what this was going to happen, but after that fight, uh, it didn't go well for Morante. Uh, El Juli triumphed tremendously, yeah. and Morante abruptly announced his retirement that night, August thirteenth, uh, twenty seventeen. And he stayed out for nine months, didn't fight, and uh, kind of kind of rocked the bullfighting world. And but then he's back now, and he's fighting again. And he's I just saw him recently in in a small town called Arevalo, in the region of uh, near Avila, province of Avila. Uh, and I had press credentials, and he came in, and this is on my Instagram, Abraham Toros. It's really funny. Um, it was some big bullfighters there. It was Morante. It was Juan Jose Padilla, who they call the pirate because he lost an eye and has, he wears an eye patch. Uh, and he's, this is in his retirement year. Uh, and Miguel Angel, Miguel Angel Pereira, who is from Extremadura, who is a phenomenal, phenomenal, elegant, tall bullfighter 
who is also in all three of those bullfighters are I interviewed uh, and did photo shoots with for the book. But Morante, when Morante comes in, it's it's a spectacle, it's a show, and he comes into the tunnel, the um, you know the, what they call the patio de cuadrillas, where they are there with their teams, their cuadrillas. And far too many stragglers get in. I don't know how. <laughs> uh, people who know the, uh, the 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 business side, or friends, or, or family, or journalists and photographers. It should be just journalists, photographers, and maybe some, the, the the bullfighting folks. But anyway, um, he shows up, and I have this photographed, and I have some video on my Instagram, and he's puffing on a cigar. He's he comes out of the all these bullfighters travel in these like vans. From their hotel, and they come in with the the traje de luces, their suits, the golden suits are on. Yeah, uh, there's no locker rooms or anything. And he walks through this little door, and boom, into the sea of people, and everyone's around him and photographing him, and and wants to take pictures with him. And he's puffing and puffing, and he's surrounded by this 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 big um, you know cloud of smoke, and he's uh, puffing away. And um, it, you know he's not a tall guy, and it's not easy to get close to him. You know, but I was trying to do a follow-up. Uh, I wanted to do a follow-up interview to this one uh, um, with him, and it, that's been really hard to to line up. It's tough to line up uh, interviews with bullfighters. It takes a lot of time, a lot of work, uh, credibility, uh, trust. And uh, I'd already been in touch with uh, his mozo de espadas. That's the guy who a very close confidant in this cuadrilla, uh, the in his team who guards the swords, that's Mozo de Espadas, right? Hands him the swords when he's, when he's out there in the, uh, in the plaza. Anyway, I uh, wanted to say something to Morante to get his attention and to remind him who I was. And so in this little circle of people, I was across from him. He's kind of looking down, and I said, I said, Maestro, es un cojibo número cinco, no es? I said, that's a cojibo number five, isn't it? And he looked up at me and smiled <laughs> and winked. <laughs> and... Uh, because I remember when I shot the, when we did the shoot in the interview, in his suite, he had the box and I photographed it. And right. I remembered the type. And he talks about his first cigar and a really beautiful story and his favorites. He, he likes Cubans the mm. best. Yeah. And, uh, and that was that was good, like little way to get in and to remind him who I was. And then I got close to him and I said, you know, I'm in touch with your Mosa Espadas. I'm trying to set up an interview before I depart Spain. Didn't happen. Uh, but I think it'll happen again uh, in the future. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, so kind of uh, shifting gears to the, the previous story that you had written for us. So that was that we've, we've been talking about your uh, the Q&A that we published with Morante de la Puebla. Um, but the first thing that you wrote for us was actually earlier that year in, in the March issue, and that was about bull meat uh, and – so talk a bit about um, so the, the the cliff's notes here is right that that and and I think this is maybe something that a lot of people wouldn't assume also uh, that the the bulls that die in these fights are are consumed. This isn't uh, necessarily you know uh, a, a, an altogether wasteful spectacle. Um, but uh, tell me about the first time that you ate bull meat and and how might you describe that you know that experience uh to the person who uh, has no idea what to expect from from that that yeah. particular protein yeah. well that was a really fun story to write yeah let me tell you nick because um i was able to do a deep dive on the history of bull meat and i had taken a class on bullfighting journalism as 250 hour course university 
level course. Oh, at the, this is at, like at the Complutense. Oh wow, that, that's yeah. a thing. There's yeah, a, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's there a is. course in bullfighting journalism. About seventeen years it's been going on. Wow, I think I'm the, I think I'm the only American to have graduated with a diploma. Oh, wow, not easy. It's three nights a week for three hours a night, uh, and then and then uh, uh, weekend uh, field trips to bull ranches to. Uh, Sastarias, where they make the the suits. To we, yeah. we did all kinds of things. Uh, to bullfights, and then we we wrote, we interviewed, we we had at least a dozen different professors come in, be they journalists, authors, veterinarians, historians, anthropologists, a wide range of of people. And um, so I already had this background. I had these connections, and I had these, these some contacts. And one of the historians, Paco Aguado, who I just interviewed, and you, I put some notes up on my Instagram about that interview. It was fantastic. Um, with, you know, they taught us that bullfighting, it's been around the Mediterranean for 2,000 years. And it comes from this ritual animal sacrifice. And why are they sacrificing these animals? Well, they're doing it on festival days, like saints' days of different... Pueblos, yep. small towns across Spain, and they're they're sacrificing the animal, and then they're having a feast, and they're eating the bull meat, and that's the tradition, and that's so I broke the story down into four parts, and I start with the the the, the old history of of the small towns where they run the bulls, where they uh, they used to be butchers who were the bullfighters, uh, who would just pass the bull a little bit for a spectacle just to tire it a bit and then slaughter it, kill it, slaughter it, and then they would cook it. And I would describe how in traditional uh, ways in small towns as uh, you know, as early or as um, recent as 10 or 15 years ago, people were uh, cooking the, the bull meat, you know, over uh, wood fires, pouring wine to soften the tough meat. Yeah. Uh, and and then you know, and then chowing down with lots and lots of, of wine, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but 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 because of uh, the outbreak of mad cow disease, and there was a scare across Europe, um, Spain instituted this policy of uh, an an animal had to be uh, had to go through refrigeration and had to there had to be this quarantine period of three or four days i described it in the article and so now that tradition is, is stopped it's just it's halted you can't kill and then eat the animal right away so you, bull meat is eaten well across spain especially the the rabo the tail mm -hmm. rabo de toro is a very common dish it's delicious i've eaten it um, everywhere from madrid to cordoba where supposedly the dish began to uh, the restaurants in Barcelona, where the old bullfighters used to used to celebrate before it, bullfighting was prohibited there. Is it generally prepared similarly to say oxtail or? Well, I mean Cuban style oxtail, no, because to me Cuban, sure. Cuban style oxtail, I think is more like of a tomato base. Right, right. It's very thick uh, and big. But, and but even within Spain, would, yeah. would they? I would say that within Spain, my experience has been that it's either red wine or white wine, okay. mainly red wine, and. Uh, there's a marinating um, period, and, and it's cooked um, either four or five hours. And I actually describe in the story, I, I talked to uh, the chef at Fogón de Trifón, uh, a restaurant that bullfighters go to that's near the plaza in Madrid, and he describes to me his recipe and how he cooks it, slow cooking yeah. it for four or five hours, but also how to do it uh, at a pre with a pressure cooker. Right. And 
and it's just delicious. It's just uh, sumptuous, strong, strong flavors, um, and juicy, delicious. Yeah. Um, it's it's really wonderful. But I will say this: is that rabo de toro and rabo de toro de Lidia are different. Rabo de toro is uh, oxtail, right? And it usually most places across Spain, it's from a cow, right? And but rabo de toro de Lidia. When you say Toro de Lidia, that means bull that is being passed in the plaza is harder to find because if you're, not, if you're out of season, you're not having bulls killed in plazas. Also, there's a place in Madrid called uh, Casa Turibio that has the exclusive contract with 90 bullfighting plazas, oh, including wow. the Madrid Plaza for exclusively for the last 23 years. So if you're in Madrid, this is where you go. If you want, yeah, make a reservation. It's not, it's not cheap. And yeah. it's... Absolutely phenomenal. And the flavor is different. Right. Yeah. So it's nice to have uh, Robert de Todo in different places, but like when you have it there, you are having the bull that was killed in the plaza. And if you want, you can go there and you can tell, uh, you, you, could, uh, you could tell um, Toribio, you could say, um, I would like the, the bull that Rafaelio killed on Sunday, mm-hmm. you know, during San Isidro. And, and you can get it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. That's crazy. Very cool. Yeah. Do, do the bullfighters generally, and maybe this is, I imagine that maybe this, this came up, but is it, uh, are, are they especially interested in, in eating meat from the bulls that they killed in these, uh, in the plazas or? I haven't heard that. And to be okay. honest with you, um, when I went into this, uh, research, you know, I wrote some stories for, Miami Herald, El Nuevo Herald, Outside Magazine, from Colombia and from Spain about bullfighting. And then I wrote your guys' stories. Yeah. And I uh, and I decided I had so much content and access and, and I wanted to, to do more. And that's why I decided to start pursuing the book. And so I had these ideas from like reading Ernest Hemingway. You know, I just thought of like the the bullfighters, uh, you know, as socialites who are having these extravagant, you know, poolside parties with all these beautiful people and they were these celebrated figures and there is a little of that i think marante is kind of one of those guys who's just like floating around with his flamboyant flower printed uh shirts and puffing cigars and stuff but for the most part bullfighters have really strict diets okay incredible exercise regimens yeah and they a lot of the bullfighters that i interviewed do not drink. They don't even drink alcohol. Now, some of them will drink wine uh, out of season, you know, uh, or something else. But even Morante, I said, you know, what is your? Because I asked every bullfighter from different regions of Spain, because you know, Spain has like something like thirty wine regions, Dominación de Origen, and I asked him, what's your favorite wine? And he said, well, I don't drink wine. And we talked a little bit about that, and I said, well, what's your favorite drink? That? And he said. Uh, Fanta Naranjas de Categoría. <laughs> Orange Fanta is the best. <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of like I had to come to understand that, you know what, the bullfighters are not necessarily always experts in cuisine. Right, right. Now, now uh, I talked to Alberto lopez Simon, a young bullfighter from, um, from Madrid. I think he's from the city of Barajas where the airport is. And he is a sensational bullfighter. I think he's a little too risky sometimes. Uh, I've seen him get knocked down probably 60% of the times that I've watched him. He's an incredibly dramatic 
to watch mm-hmm. and exciting. Um, but and I know he goes to football and three because he's told me and 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 they've told me and uh, and he's told me that about the Rabo there. Yeah. So now, but besides just the Rabo, I mean, traditionally all parts of the animal were were cooked, and I talk about that in the story. And like um, the the sirloin is very good, and there is a butcher shop that you can go to near the plaza that gets the bull meat, you know, not the rabo, but the other parts of the bull meat. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's tougher, you know, um, it's uh, it's used in stews and that the sirloin is really soft. Yeah. And uh, I cooked that up uh, for my wife one one day while I was writing the story. I think I remember seeing that photo that you put somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was delicious. And, and she's uh, from Nebraska, so she talked about how, you know, there's this it was more of a grassy, natural flavor mm-hmm. to it. It's it's kind of it's not a wild animal, but it's definitely doesn't taste like a domesticated animal. Because yeah. these bulls are free ranging for four or five years, and they and I talk about the space that they're allotted and the, all the range that they have and the, the 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 high quality care because it's in the interest of the rancher to have the most beautiful, strongest, biggest bull. To sell and to perform in the plaza. So tell me a bit about uh, you know we we kind of mentioned in passing the the book project, uh, but tell me about that book and um, and what the idea is there. What is the uh, the path that you're going down with that? The idea was that you know I've been in Spain four years. I just wrapped up uh, my four years there, and you know uh, I was. I just really fell in love with uh, the rush, the feeling, the emotions uh, uh, of, of watching a bullfight. And there were particular bullfighters that uh, I really enjoyed watching, like uh, the French bullfighter Sebastian Castella is one that I liked a lot. Of course, Padilla has a totally different style, uh, or a popular, extravagant, strong, uh, daring. You know? I mean, there's, there's so many different styles of bullfighters. And I was... Um, you know, some weekends where I'd be free, I had my Volkswagen camper van. It was my dad's camper van, 1982, out there. And so I would just look up where the where a particular bullfighter was that I wanted to see. And I'd say, well, let's say it's about three hours from Madrid or whatever. I can get there. And I would just go. And, uh, and then I was starting to discover these small towns across Spain, beautiful landscapes, wine regions, old medieval villages, historic plazas, wonderful regional cuisine and regional wines. <clears throat> and I thought to myself, wow, bullfighting is, is taking me off the beaten path to all of these beautiful, wonderful, enchanting parts of Spain that have all their own character. And, um, and, and I want to do, do more interviews and work you know, in the bullfighting world and bullfighters are the most fascinating interview subjects that I've ever spoken to in my 15 years journalism career of all over the world, um, in all of Latin America, Europe, and the U.S., covering like a wide range of, of topics. So um, I, I, should, I should write a book, uh, and it could be this could kind of be the basis. It's like this is what opened my eyes to, to Spain. It's like I'm seeing Spain through the eyes of bullfighters from different regions. Right. Uh, you know, by talking to them in that. And I decided I will apply for press credentials at Las Ventas, the most important plaza in the world, uh, in Madrid. 
and if I get press credentials, I will do this. And I was granted press credentials. I had the, I brought in this story, I think, or the other story, and and my other bullfighting stories. And I, you know, I wrote letters and I followed up many times. And I was granted libre circulación, free access. So that means that I could be in the patio de cuadrillas when the bullfighters arrived. I could go up to them and talk to them for a couple minutes if they wanted to speak. I could shoot photographs in the uh, por portrait shots. Uh, I was at all of the most of the fights during the big festival of San Isidro in May. This was last year. And, and I learned so much. And I talked to them in the minutes and the moments before they stepped on the sand. Uh, yeah. And this was to see a man in this situation. <clears throat> what is he thinking? What is he feeling? What is he looking forward to? What is he worried about? I asked him all those questions. And to, to see how different people manage that and think about that. And then I set up the long-form interviews, uh, and I would sit down with these bullfighters, if I could, in their home region. If not, I followed up later to do the photo shoot in their home region. And all my interviews were uh, at least an hour, usually an hour and a half, two hours. Sometimes I'd spend an entire day on their ranch, just sort of unexpected. It was supposed to be an hour interview, and then they invite me to lunch, and then we're, we're checking out their uh, bayote, uh, pigs and they're looking and we're looking at their bulls and then we're driving around the ranch and then his mo mom's you know Miguel Hepareda's mom's making us uh, fresh eggs and and we're you know having a, a great time and very deep discussions. In fact, a couple weeks before I left, I was at uh, um, I was at a wonderful winery in La Rioja and I put the information up as well on uh, on the Instagram with Diego Ardiales, who's from La Rioja and we drank. We did the photo shoot. We did an interview while we're walking around. Every time I have my photographers out there, I'm doing the interviews and we're shooting that. Uh, and then we're doing the portrait shots. And then we said we had wonderful lamb ribs on the on a grill out in the wine fields and grilled with the, the twigs and the sticks from the wine uh, the wine uh, you know vines, which is a wonderful flavor. And I'm you know and, and I'm talking to them about the region. Uh, what they love about, uh, why they're proud of that region of where they're from, what inspires them, their favorite foods, their, if they drink wine, their favorite wines, uh, the historical places that they love that inspire them. For example, I spoke to Saul Jimenez Fortes, who's from Malaga, and he told me that one of his favorite places is the Roman Amphitheater in downtown Malaga. And, and he told me he just imagines what it would have been like, you know, thousand years ago yeah uh to to see a bullfight there and so we went there for the photo shoot and then we also and and for instance uh el fandi uh, david fandia is from granada and he grew up in the in albaicin the moorish neighborhood of old granada and we walked through that old neighborhood and uh, i knew that i could kind of depend on him to walk through because these are just alleys just weaving every which way and i didn't have to know how to get to the top yeah yeah I followed him, and he took me by his grandmother's house. He showed me where he used to ride his bicycle, where he would play, and we got to the top, and we shot. We were shooting photos along the way in the old Moorish neighborhood, but then we got to the top, and we shot photos with, with Alhambra in the background. Nice. Phenomenal. Very cool. And so these bullfighters have been telling me about these wonderful parts of Spain, which you know, I discovered by following bullfighters. And I asked them about these places. And then I went out there and I tried the foods and I visited the places and I write about it. Uh, and then also we just we talked a lot about bullfighting. 
their styles, their upbringing, their, their particular wonderful stories, their incredible stories, their stories of overcoming defeat, of overcoming failure. I mean, these are human stories. Mm-hmm. These are inspiring stories. I mean, of injuries, of why get up and keep fighting when you have a serious injury. Why right. do that? There's different answers from different bullfighters why to do that. The spectacle, the crowd, the, the quote-unquote system of managers and plaza directors and ranchers and mm-hmm. how they there's a, like some people say there's a, like a little bit of a monopoly happening there and anti-competitive uh, ways of organizing bullfights that could be hurting the bullfight today and making it less uh, appealing or attractive than it could otherwise be we, we, we there are so many different debates uh, the different breeds of bulls they're fought their characteristics why some have fallen out of favor and what the public is looking for and how that's changed over years. I interviewed a lot of uh, older retired bullfighters uh, from the past. I talked to folks about Catalonia, the prohibition uh, that I think, I believe went into effect in 2012, but it's been lifted. It's been declared unconstitutional. So bullfighting can return to Barcelona and Catalonia, but it's, it's not. And why not? And I spoke to Serafin Marin, a Catalan bullfighter about how his career was destroyed through that prohibition. Uh, so there's just some like a, a bit of the flavor of the different people that I've spoken to from different areas of the country. Yeah. So I mean, it sounds like when this thing is done, after reading the book, it'll be comprehensive enough that all that's left is for somebody to go and <laughs> go to a bullfight. I mean, in you Spain. absolutely have to see a bullfight in a plaza. Yeah. You know, and I've talked to a lot of people about this. I mean, there's a, there's a TV channel in Spain, uh, Canal Toros Plus, that you you could watch. Of course, you could go on the internet and see bullfights. And you could see some of the top, top bullfighters, and you could see the beauty of their of the passing, of the bringing the bull close to them, uh, of the uh, the capote work, which is the, the fuchsia-colored yeah. uh, cape, of the, the muleta. You could see a lot of things. But the experience of being inside a plaza is, is, is it cannot be replicated on television. Because you're in this place, this, this huge plaza, you feel the sun in the afternoon. You see the sparkle of the gold on their on their suits. You see the pageantry of the way they walk out and the paso dobles is play. And then the old style, they, they salute the plaza director, and then they're you know they're they're moving their cap, their capotes, they're practicing, they're getting ready. And then there's this uh, there's a hush in the in the in the plaza uh, when the bull is released, and then and the bull comes out, just rips out, charging, stampeding around. Uh, around the sand, and the first person who will pass that bull is the matador, mm-hmm. and then, so it's it's top state of bravura of aggressiveness. Yeah. The the matador is stepped out onto the sand with, and he is protected by a cloth. He, it's not like he has a sword in his back pocket and he can defend himself. Right. This is a bull that's twelve hundred, thirteen hundred pounds, it, with tremendous ferocity and these huge horns that could absolutely destroy him and he goes out there with a cloth and he is using his intellect to to overcome the beast right so uh yeah it, it sounds a little bit like and, and i'm speaking a little bit out of out of ignorance here having never observed either firsthand but that that combination of um of the pageantry like you said and and the ritual and the spectacle followed by this Sort of ultra physical, um, uh, it, it, you know, burst 
I, I imagine that it's it's almost like Spain's analog to what Japanese sumo might be, right? Where it's got all this very deep cultural and and even spiritual significance, followed by a very physical, you know, quick burst uh, in in the in the wrestling match. So, um, so very cool. Uh, before we get into plugging your personal stuff, mm-hmm. uh, where might somebody who doesn't or can't have uh, immediate plans to visit Spain uh, watch bullfights, be it online, or is there like a uh, a bullfighting uh, media outlet that might have good stuff on YouTube if you want to just kind of, you know, get a little quick hit? Uh, or, or maybe there's a particular bullfight you think people should Google, like, hey, this is the this is the most impressive thing you can catch online if you really want to kind of get a little taste of, mm-hmm. of what we're talking mm-hmm. about. Sure. Well, uh, I just saw Jose Tomas in, Al- in Algeciras, in Algeciras mm-hmm. and that was incredible. He had a mano a mano with Miguel Angel Pereira. And Jose Tomas is considered the sort of mystic artist bullfighter who is far, far above the next uh, the next bullfighters? Uh, people to see him in a plaza is is just uh, it's enchanting. It's sub- sublime. He's incredible. He brings the bull so close to him, his body, and he doesn't move at all. I mean, his upper torso is completely still. His his chin is buried in his chest, and I've heard people describe it like Jose Tomas puts his body where he knows the bull wants to pass. Sure, yeah. And the, when I've seen Jose Tomas pass a bull, I, it, it's incredible to me because the bull is like 60 or 80 feet away, and he's standing perhaps in the, in the center of the, uh, of the plaza, and he holds out the muleta and <clears throat> very close to the body, and with the slightest dangle, the slightest movement, the bull comes galloping at him, yeah, and he doesn't move, and he knows exactly where the bull's going to be, and the bull passes him tremendously close, and turns around, and he moves just the slightest movement of the of the muleta, and the bull's back, and the bull's back. It's almost, almost as if the bull knows it's Jose Tomas, and it has to perform at its absolute peak. That's funny, yeah, and it's it's tremendous. So I'd say, no, he has restrictions on. Um, uh, broadcasting his fights, but there are you know, video clips out there. Sure. If, you, if you look up Jose Tomas, if you look up the Algeciras fight, the first time I saw him was in Jerez two years ago, and I thought he was tremendous in Jerez. Now, he's he had his heyday in the 90s so, um, in, in Barcelona, and he had some great fights elsewhere. But, um, I mean, YouTube's got a lot of great quality uh, bullfighting mm-hmm. you know, footage out there. Uh, I think what I use to sort of reference bullfighting, there's some top um, magazines. Uh, Seis Toro Seis is a, is a big bullfighting magazine, Six Toros Six. Um, and Aplausos uh, is another bullfighting magazine that's really well-respected. <coughs> and then the, the ranchers fund a website called Mundo Toro, and that has a lot of material always being updated and video content, high-quality video content. But the thing about – this is a whole other issue. Uh, but the thing about bullfighting journalism is there's always influences. So you're never getting quite the, the, the complete story. You're always getting an angle. And I've had this discussion with a lot of people and some top bullfighting journalists and that. But you, know, you, could, you could go to a bullfight and you could read in the newspaper the story by three different writers – and you think that neither of them were at the same fight that you. They were all yeah. at different fights. Right, right. And some people say, well, that's the beauty of the perspective of that writer. You know? But 
and it's it's beautiful. There's some really wonderful writers out there who are yeah. writing about bullfighting in a very artistic and exciting way. Very cool. So uh, we'll round it out by by letting people know how to follow you and keep up with this book project. And I imagine eventually, you know, there will be information on how to how to uh-huh. get your hands on it. Uh-huh. So you mentioned your Instagram is uh, Abraham Abraham Toros, yeah, and, and then on, on Twitter it's at Abraham Toros. All right, cool. Uh, all right, with that, we're going to wrap up. We're going to uh, stick around and, and keep smoking and drinking. We've been smoking a couple cigars, drinking uh, uh, some of this uh, Brixton Mash Destroyer from John Drew Brand. So for those of you who are not familiar, that's uh, uh, the bourbon and rum blend from that, uh, that brand that was launched by Jonathan Drew from Drew Estate. Uh, very tasty stuff. And, uh, yeah, that's it. That was just really just my gratuitous, like, I'm drinking this and you're not. Neener, neener. (laughs) So, all right. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you, Nick.